Recording. All right. Uh, hello, men. Uh, Wes Butler here. I am the director of family ministry here at our Dallas campus, and it is a gift uh, to me to be able to uh, open up God's word to us uh, during this time. Uh, as I've thought about this morning or this time that uh, you're watching this, whenever that may be, uh, I um, was struck by just the moment in time in which we're going to study this passage. I, I think about Bobby and the equipping team and those guys that when they planned, hey, let's go through these letters of Revelation, they had no idea, no idea that we would be in this particular moment in time that we're in right now. And, uh, and yet here we are. And as I have dove into this passage and looked at it, I, I don't know that there is a more apt word for us than what we're about to jump into today. It is a word of encouragement uh, to a faint-hearted people. And, uh, and so my prayer and my hope for us today is that God's word would do what it says it will do, that it is living and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts right to where our deepest need is. And so I don't know where uh, this time finds you personally and how you are processing this, but I am confident that God himself wants to speak to us today through his word, and I'm really thankful for the chance to do that. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to read this passage together. Actually, let me read the passage first, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into just what the Lord has taught us, uh, taught me as I've gone through this, and, uh, and hopefully it's an encouragement to you. So uh, let's read in uh, Revelation 3. We are in verses 7 through 13, the letter to the church at Philadelphia, and it says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you say to this church, to the church at Philadelphia. God, will you inform our heart, will you encourage and strengthen us, Father, through this word, we ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. So as I was uh, thinking about this, uh, there's a story that I tell often about my, uh, my son Malachi. So if you don't know my family, I have four kids, and all four of my kids have come to our family through the gift of adoption. Uh, Malachi was adopted from Ethiopia when he was about 18 months old. And so uh, I remember, uh, and perhaps a picture will show up on your screen, uh, I remember just uh, the moment that I met him in this little courtyard in Ethiopia, I remember just minutes after that, just holding him on my chest and him falling asleep as I kind of laid on this couch of this guest house we 
were staying at. And Malachi came to us uh, in this really beautiful way. And when he came to us, he wasn't speaking yet. He was, uh, you know, nonverbal. He was still only 18 months old. And so uh, he was just beginning to learn uh, language. And so as he got home to the States and began to pick up English very quickly, the very first full sentence that I remember him being able to utter was that every night when I would go to tuck him into bed, he would look at me and he would say, Daddy, are we going to have breakfast in the morning? Which seems like such an odd question. Uh, You know, when you think about it, I I might ask myself, hey, what am I going to have for breakfast in the morning? I might wonder if we're going to have pancakes or Lucky Charms. But but that wasn't Malachi's question. Malachi's question was, hey, Daddy, are we going to have breakfast in the morning? And it confused me for a while until I realized Malachi potentially has a memory somewhere subconsciously in the back of his mind where he remembers a morning where he didn't get breakfast. Or maybe he remembers many mornings when he didn't get breakfast, when he was living in an orphanage or when he was living in a group home. And that hunger is still there within him. And so if you know anything about kind of trauma in kids, you know that that trauma continues on and and it endures. And, And so Malachi at one point in time was an orphan and he needed his daddy to remind him, hey, you don't live in the orphanage anymore. You live in the butler house. And so I, I began to take great joy and delight, quite honestly, in that question. Every night I would go, yes, Malachi, of course we're going to have breakfast in the morning. What do you want? And then I'd go through the menu items of what was available to him and the butler household and just remind him, hey, now that you are a son of Wes Butler, you don't have to ask that question anymore. And I think this letter to the Church of Philadelphia is very similar. You see, what we know from the scriptures is that we were all born into the orphanage of our sin and destruction. We all remember a time where we were a slave to those things. And yet we have been adopted as God's children. And because of that, we have confidence now that our Father will give us what we need. And yet there are times in this life, as we, again, are enduring right now in the midst of quarantines and and, uh, social distancing and all those things, we're in times where we begin to question, God, are you still there? Are you still faithful? And I think this is what the church at Philadelphia must have been experiencing in their moment. They were searching for assurance in the midst of their uncertainty. And their father, through the words of his son, their older brother, as the scriptures tell us, was reassuring them. And that's what we find in this passage is just a word of encouragement to those of us who are tempted to doubt, to those of us who are questioning whether our Father is going to provide for us this day. And so what I want us to look at and see in this passage are just three things, three keys to certainty in uncertain times. Uh, Napoleon Bonaparte is famous for uh, a little quote where he just said, a leader is a dealer in hope. And that is what our ultimate leader is dealing in, is that Jesus is looking at the church at Philadelphia and he's looking at us, the church here at Watermark, and he's saying, hey, let me give you hope today. Let me remind you of what is true. And so I want us to look at three keys to certainty in uncertain times that we see in this passage. The first one is this, that if we want to have certainty in uncertain times, we want to know who holds the keys. Uh, the, the scripture or the, the uh, structure of all of these letters to the, the churches begin with an introduction of Jesus and they um, spell out specific characteristics of Jesus that are pertinent to that church. And right here we see this amazing description of Jesus in verse 7 where it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One 
the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works, he says. And so there's three things that, uh, that Jesus reveals about himself that are so important for us in the midst of uncertain times that we can have certainty. We see that the one who holds the keys, he is the one who is holy and true. You know, I think about on Sunday, we sang the song, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. That's what this means. There's no other one like Jesus. There's no other king like Jesus who, uh, who gives us exactly what we need and who is trustworthy and true. This is no false God. This is no pretend God. And I think about Jesus looking at his disciples shortly before he was to die and saying, look, guys, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is holy, set apart, unique, and he is true. The second thing we see about the one who holds the keys is that he is the one who sees and knows us. Look at what verse eight, eight says. I know your works, he says. And he goes on, he says, I know that you have but little power, but yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Men, let me just encourage you with this. Your God sees you. He sees your faithfulness. He sees those times when you're tempted to blow up at your kids and yet you allow the spirit to restrain you from that. He sees those moments where your wife needs a word of tenderness and gentleness and compassion and you give it to her rather than maybe what your flesh would rather give in that moment. He sees those moments when you text a friend a word of encouragement and say, hey, I love you and I'm praying for you. He sees that. He sees those times, as I think about in Matthew 6, where Jesus says, hey, go into your closet and pray and don't worry about the rewards of the world. The Father himself will reward you for your faithfulness. Men, he sees you. And what great assurance he gives us in that, that he sees you and he knows you. He knows your works. And you can be, uh, you, you can be certain of that. Matthew 10 is a passage of scripture that, uh, that Todd read uh, on Sunday where he just says this. He says, he says so f- have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Your God, the one who holds the keys, he sees you and he knows you. And then the third thing that we see here is that the one, that he is the one who opens and shuts. He says, behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Men, we have an open door, an opportunity in this moment in time, just like the church at Philadelphia did. In the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their suffering, God was opening up a door for them to be a light in this world. That is who your king is. That is the one who holds these keys and who gives them to you. So the first key to certainty in uncertain times is to know the one who holds the keys. The second key is this, is to know what it is that he unlocks. This is a beautiful structure to this passage. And what uh, what Jesus gives us here, and what John recorded for us in Revelation 3, is these six promises that Jesus puts before us. And in that, we see things that he unlocks for us, and then we see things that God has locked away for us. And so it's like Jesus is this like amazing game show host going, hey, let's look and see what's behind door door number one. Let's see what's behind door number two. What's behind door number three. And then it's kind of like he goes Oprah Winfrey on us and goes, hey, let me give you everything. Everybody gets what's behind door one, two, and three. So what's behind doors one, two, and three? Well, here is what he gives us. In verse nine, he says, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come bow down before your feet 
and they will learn what? That I have loved you. So the first thing that we see here of what the keys unlock for us is proof. Jesus says, look, I'm going to verify and vindicate that what you have believed and held fast to all along is true. It makes me think of Philippians 2 where Jesus just looks and he says, look, there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Jesus is saying, look, what I'm going to unlock to you behind door number one is proof that you are the one that I love. Not these false teachers in that synagogue, he's telling to the church at Philadelphia, not those who put their hope in their bank accounts or in the economy or in the the vaccine that we hope will come out, not those. I'm going to show that the ones who have trusted in me and held fast, they are the ones that I love. And so he opens that door for us of proof. The second thing that he opens for us is protection. Verse 10, look at it. It says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, this is uh, for, for many commentators and those of us who uh, happen to believe uh, in, in uh, a pre-trib rapture. This is actually one of the verses that we would go to and say, hey, there is some assurance here that God is going to take the church out of the world before that seven years of tribulation. Now, I'm not going to dive into that uh, this morning, but uh, it is important for us just to see that what we, what we know about God, what he unlocks for us is his protection, his provision that he unlocks for us. Now, whether we are raptured before the tribulation or not, you can debate that. But what is not debatable is that there is a time when all of God's children will be gathered in the safety of his eternal presence. And when we will uh, worship at his feet. And when we will be spared from the wrath that is to come. John 10 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. And Jesus is looking and he says this. He, looks, he says, look, I give them, those who hold fast to the word, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And so Jesus is going, look, I got you. And then not only do I got you, but my father whose hand is even bigger, he's got us and he will not let us go. And so there is protection there that that Jesus unlocks for us. I love what uh, Dr. Constable says in his notes here, because uh, if we're not careful, we're we're looking and going, but what, what if we don't keep the word? What if we don't keep the word? And yet what what, uh, Dr. Constable points out here is that this is probably, he says, a subjective genitive, which means just simply this, that the endurance that Jesus himself displayed is what is uh, is on display right here, not necessarily the endurance that he requires. And so it's this idea that Jesus is the one who's holding fast to us. And he will protect us. And so he um, opens up to us the door of proof, the, the door of protection. And then finally, he opens up to us the door of his presence. And it's just that simple, simple phrase, I am coming soon. And what great joy that should unlock in our hearts. He is coming soon. He will return. And that is where our hope is found. Uh, J.I. Packer um, talks about the six things that you should preach to yourself every day. And they're just simply this. He says, look, you should preach to yourself every day. One, I am a child of God. Two, God is my father. Three, heaven is my home. Four, every day is one day nearer. Five, my savior is my brother. Six, every Christian is my brother too. And I don't know about you, but right now in this moment, I am so encouraged by number three and four there, that heaven is my home and that every day that I walk this planet is one day closer. 
is one day closer to his eternal presence that Jesus has unlocked for us through his death and burial and resurrection. That is what he has unlocked for us. And so the key to certainty in uncertain times, one, is to know who holds the keys, two, to know what it is that he unlocks, and then three, what we see is what he locks away for us. And there's three things that we see here that he locks away for us. One, beginning in verse 12, he says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. And so what does he lock away for us? He locks away our victory. You see, the the battle is already won. And Jesus is going, hey, look, we don't have to worry about that. I've locked that away. I have solidified that. I think about that moment when Moses is standing uh, on the edge of the Red Sea and all the Israelites are panicking because here comes Egypt. And Moses just looks at them and he says, look, all you need to do is stand still and God will fight for you. And that's all that we have to do in this moment in time is to recognize what Romans 8, 37 says, that we are more than conquerors through him who, uh, who loved us. That's who we are. And so our victory has been locked away. We know that we have the victory because of our king, because of our savior. The second thing that we see locked away is this idea of our security. And uh, the, the tail end of verse 12, he just says, never shall he go out of it. Now, this was the idea. There were earthquakes in Philadelphia often. People would have to flee the city. And yet what, uh, what uh, John, or what Jesus rather, is encouraging the church at Philadelphia with is just this idea that, look, you're not going to have to flee anymore. You are safe. You are secure. And we see this again in Romans 8, 38 and 39. He says, for look, I am sure that neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Men, we are secure. And Jesus has locked it away. He has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. That is what he has given to, to us. That's what he's locked away for us. And he has the power to do that because he suffered, because he died, because he gave his life for us. So the keys lock our victory. They lock up our security. And then finally, I love this, is that they lock away our inheritance. The very end of verse 12 Uh, Jesus says, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Man, here's what you need to know, that you are an heir of the king, that all of the riches of heaven are yours. They are infinite. And Jesus is going to take infinity and he's going to divide it by a billion believers and more. And guess what's left when you divide infinity by a billion? Still infinity. It just goes on and on and on. And those riches are for you and they are for me. That is our inheritance that God has given to Jesus and that Jesus gladly as a perfect older brother says, look, I'll share my inheritance with these rebellious younger brothers who are not always faithful, who do not always hold fast, but I will give you this inheritance. And so Jesus looks at the church of Philadelphia and goes, look, I'm going to write on you the name of our father. I'm going to write on you the name of our father. I love what Dr. Constable says here. He says that the key of David apparently is referring to this passage in Isaiah 22, where Hezekiah's servant received the authority over David's house, including, he says, access to all the king's treasures. And so we go back to what Jesus was described at in the very first, at the beginning of this passage in verse seven. And we see that he was handed these keys to uh, the, the treasury of David. What is the treasury of David? Again, it is everything that God has given to his son because of him. Back to Romans 8, 
we see this. In verses 15 and 17, Paul reminds us, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? We are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so men, Jesus has locked up your inheritance. It's not a 401k that may or may not go very well during this economic time. It's not some trust fund that is out there. No, no, no. This is in the vaults of heaven and it is waiting for you. And in fact, it is being given to you right here, right now right here, right now, the abundant life that Jesus intended for us. And so the keys to certainty in uncertain times is to know who holds the keys, to know what it is that he unlocks, those three things, and then to know what he locks. And what's beautiful about the structure of this passage is that unlike the other, uh, many of the other uh, letters that you've studied in here, there's really only one imperative, one commandment that's given here. And it's right sandwiched between those three things that we see of what Jesus unlocks and what Jesus locks for us. He says, look, I'm coming soon. And then he says this, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. That's it. That's it. Jesus is just looking at us and he's going, look, all you have to do, look, look at all the evidence of all the ways that I'm holding you. Look at the authority that I have to hold you. Look at what I've unlocked for you. Look at what I've locked for you. And so all you have to do is like the Israelites at the edge of the Red Sea, just stand back and watch your God fight for you. Hold fast to this. And man, that is the challenge for us at this time. That's the one application of this passage. Hey, hold fast. There, there's the, the famous story of Odysseus um, when uh, he knew that he was going to sail by uh, the sirens that were out there. And he, he instructed his crew, hey, crew, I want you to lash me to the mast of the ship. And I want you to plug your ears and just keep rowing. But I want to hear those siren songs. And, and we could debate whether that was a wise move on Odysseus's part. But what we know is this, that we can't plug our ears to the sirens of this world. But what we can do is that we can lash our heart to the ancient mast of God's word. We can lash our heart to the truths of what he has unlocked and what he's locked for us. We can lash our heart to the Savior and the King who holds the keys. And that's the challenge for us today. And so the application for us today is just to look and go, man, what am I holding fast to? Am I holding fast to the one thing that is certain and sure? During this time, this is a great opportunity for us to evaluate. Lord, is, is there other things that I'm holding on to? Am I holding on to the security of my job? Am I holding on to the security of these economic times? Am I holding on to, and, and am I trusting in these things to hold me fast? Or am I holding on to you, Lord? Am I holding on to you? And so that, that's my prayer. Uh, Hebrews 6, I'll just wrap up with this. Um, it has this great passage, verses 17 through 20. It says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to what? Hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone before us where Jesus has gone before us. And so men, let's hold 
fast. Let's learn from the church at Philadelphia to hold fast in the midst of uncertain times, in the midst of the times when the world's going to say, I wonder if there's still hope there. And we get to hold fast to this hope that is an anchor for our soul. Let me pray that you would. Father, thank you for these men and for the chance to open up your word together. God, will you remind us that you are holding on tight to us, that you hold fast to us. And God, would you give us your grace to hold fast to you today? Father, we don't want to just escape by kind of the skin of our teeth, the wrath that is to come. Lord, we want to charge into it as conquerors, as victors, and as those who have had the confidence to hold fast to the things that you have bought for us with your blood. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who holds the keys. We are thankful that you unlock for us proof that we are loved by you, protection, and your eternal presence. And we are thankful that you have locked away for us our inheritance our security. Father, we are so thankful, and we worship you, and we praise you, and I pray now as we get to dive in this passage further with our small groups, Lord, that you would reveal to our hearts what you want to say in Christ's precious name. Amen. Guys, thank you all so much for letting me share with you today.